Welcome back to What's the Point? My name is Ned Marks. And I'm Taylor Miller. And we hope you enjoyed our last episode, Nature versus Nurture. That was two weeks ago. We took last week off. And now we are back with another really interesting discussion. In fact, this week is a debate. Um, we will be talking about humanity's greatest achievements and the many different things that we've done over the past, you know, 5,000 years or so that have led us up to this point. And... Um, each of us have created our own top ten list um, based on what we believe to be the most important achievements and why, and we are here to debate that. That's right. And, you know, in talking about this subject with Ned, um, you know, I, I initially thought about uh, discussing one or at the most a few um, achievements that were clearly uh, the most important to the human species and civilization, but, you know, as Ned and I discussed the matter further, it became apparent that it's really hard to, to really come down to decide um, what if there's one, two, or even three achievements that are the most important. And prior to, you know, leading up to that decision, uh, the question really came about, what is, how do you define uh, a greatest achievement by humankind? Right. It's a very difficult task, to say the least. You know, we, we need to understand a few things about what is really valuable to humanity? And there's a lot of questions and a lot of different roads that we could take. Um, we really kind of broke it down into a couple different things. You know, is it scalable? Is it mass reproducible? Will it affect the entirety of our species? Will it advance us, um, you know, in ways that, that really, you know, exponentially, logarithmically make us um, just able to live better and more fulfilling lives? And so we're, we posed a few questions about, you know, what really matters? Do we care about individual scientific achievements like Einstein's and Charles Darwin? Or, you know, is something um, about individual physical achievements of men like, you know, Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps? Does that qualify? How about teachings of prophets? You know, Muhammad, Jesus, perhaps political teachings and political leadership that advanced our societies under you know, people like George Washington, Winston Churchill, Mahatma Gandhi. Um, how about in you know olden times with large territorial expansions to to points where um, empires were created Genghis Khan Alexander the Great the Roman Empire um, how about how about art masterful artistic achievements have been achieved throughout the course of humanity back to Leonardo da Vinci up to John Lennon and you know Beethoven how about Alfred Hitchcock you know lots of different things are in question here, and we want to break down what we think is the best. That's right, Ned. And, and you know, we really decided at the end of the day that um, the greatest achievements um, are generally based in the disciplines of engineering and science, although not exclusively, as you'll see from the list that we created. Um, but they ultimately are achievements that have had the longest lasting uh, usefulness for humankind and or Will, can, will have the longest lasting usefulness for humankind. Um, and when we say usefulness, we mean uh, the ability of an achievement to advance humanity as a species um, and its proliferation and continued existence and prosperity. Yeah. We're thinking about the end product, the idea, the service, the concept for which the person or group or, you know, whoever created this achievement is responsible and, and then the possible ramifications of them. Um, and so we've eliminated a number of those things that we discussed before. Um, individual, individual physical achievements are incredible, but they don't really qualify because they don't advance mankind. That's right. They're too isolated. Right. Um, you know, profits, that absolutely has, has a way of, of advancing mankind, but, um, you know, we don't find them to be particularly science-based or rooted in, in any kind of, um, I, I would say, discernible metric that can allow us to, to see what it did and change. Um, political leadership certainly is, is big, but again, no one politi politician really, I, I think, stands out above the rest as being that, that influential. Um, and then, you know, large territorial expansion, I can't say that that's uh, as big, and, and neither with masterful artistic achievement. Right, and, and I'm in complete agreement. I mean, Ned, with respect to territorial expansion, I mean, empires have risen and fallen over the centuries, and, and none have really stayed as a permanent superpower. Um, and, you know, artistic achievements, while they have great cultural importance and have, um, which can actually have 
um, you know, offshoots in terms of importance in other arenas such as politics or economics. Um, we don't, Ned and I do not think that they hold the importance of uh, some of the other achievements that are on our lists. That's right. And so we have each created, and these are different lists, Taylor created one and I created one, um, a list of our top ten, David Letterman style, um, for, for which we believe are the greatest, and then we'll go into really, you know, giving a, a detailed explanation as to why we think each deserves to be on the list and it deserves to be ahead or behind any other. But we want to also give an honorable mention award to some others that we think, you know, really, um, you know, deserve some sort of credit but didn't quite make it to the top ten. So these include, um, and we can go into them very quickly, you know, the first one on my list is evolution. Obviously a wonderful achievement to learn that evolution is, is really what's what's at the heart of what's going on on Earth and, and with life. Um, and of course practical implications are, are great, but it has not yet been widely accepted enough, in my opinion, to, to be um, you know part of that uh, of that group. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a definitely a point of contemporary debate, um, despite uh, scientific evidence. Um, which is pitted against um, generally people who have faith-based beliefs um, that contradict it. Um, but you know the other issue is that evolution isn't necessary, isn't unique to humans. Right. Um, you know all species um, have undergone evolution at some point, and in fact, evolution has created new species over time um, in the in the centuries and millennia um, of past. Uh, and, you know, while it certainly is critical that evolution allowed humans the ability to reason, um, at, at this point there, there are other more substantive developments that are an offshoot of that, which we think are more important. Nonetheless, I think, Ned, that it definitely deserves an honorable mention because it is, I guess you could say, the foundation for everything else that humans were able to create through rationality and reason. Right. And, and I'm, when I'm talking about evolution, I'm really just referencing the knowledge of evolution, the knowledge uh, that it's going on. Understood. Um, the next one on my list I have is the Hubble Space Telescope, which I think you know deserves a lot of credit for for helping us understand the universe. You know, we can we can philosophize and we can create mathematic equations and we can um, you know un seek to to understand physics as much as possible, but nothing confirms these findings more than um, really the photography of it, and so. Launching the Hubble Space Telescope um, has really allowed us to to extend our reach into what we see in space. Right, and and I mean I think that it w you know the Hubble Telescope has the potential um, to uh, to serve as a base point for the development of future and more powerful, more sophisticated telescopes and observation devices that aren't shrouded by or clouded, I should say, by the Earth's atmosphere. Um, but I would say that it's an honorable mention simply because it's so temporary in the grand scheme of human development. That's right. It will be replaced in the next two or three years uh, with a more powerful telescope that should reveal more important, more interesting things about right. the universe. Right. I believe that's the James Webb Telescope. That's right. That's right. Um, the next is agriculture. Right. And, you know, Ned and I decided to put this as an honorable mention. I mean, it's obviously important insof you know, insofar as, as agriculture... Uh, the cultivation of crops, farming, and the technologies that developed from it allowed, um, in a historical context, for uh, the human population to increase more rapidly. But outside of that, it didn't really have any other benefits. So I would say, you know, similar to how I thought of evolution just now, agriculture is sort of a base from which greater and more important um, technological achievements and um, other sort of developments were able to come about. I agree. And my thought on this comes from another one of the uh, achievements that are on, actually in my top 10 list, which I'll get to in a second, which is more fundamental in my opinion, um, which allows for the development of agriculture. Um, the next I have photography, because photography in my mind has really allowed us to advance um, in, in more ways than one, you know, not just from the Hubble Space Telescope, but as humans, you know, we are seeing, breathing, um, feeling beings, and when we can see something, it really allows us to understand it. Right, and, you know, the, you know, the idea that a picture is worth a thousand words, and even with the recent advent of 3D 
you know, 3D photography and its cousin 3D printing, um, you know, photography um, really has the ability to convey wisdom, knowledge, and or a message, um, but it isn't um, something that is a catalyst for the advancement and prosperity of humanity as much as other things that we have thought about. Right. I would say photography is really great at helping us understand history a little bit better. Um, and then, you know, some of the other things that Taylor mentioned. I threw these in here. Taylor, what do you think? Facebook and Google. Uh, you know, I think that what they rely on, the internet, is certainly way more important. But Facebook and Google themselves are, are, are tools that allow for the organization of thoughts and ideas, um, as well as uh, the organization of, um, I guess, communication. But I don't think that they, per se, um, can advance humankind in the way that other things have. Right. I think at the core of it, Facebook and Google are private entities, corporate entities. Their main goal is to drive profit and therefore can't be considered one of humanity's greatest achievements. Right. And I, you know, I would say that, that you know, the fundamental ambition of Facebook, which is to connect the world, I think could lead to one of humankind's greatest creations down the road. But it, in and of itself, isn't one despite how great it is. And Google is the same thing. It's basically a way to better organize the internet, and in so doing, I think can catalyze or spur um, developments that will be um, much more instrumental in um, humankind taking a great leap forward. I agree. I think that's very well put. Uh, my next one, and I only have three more left until we get to our actual list, is capitalism. Now, I personally am skeptical on, on capitalism as a means of organizing commerce um, compared to others, but I think it has done the best job uh, so far within the human realm of the 20th and 19th centuries at helping to advance invention. Yeah, I, I mean, look, capitalism in a way, or I mean, not in a way, but essentially uh, is a system of economics wherein competition between um, other, between individuals or entities, I should say, um, creates the greatest efficiency. And while that has certainly advanced the world forward um, in the net, it has also created such significant degrees of turmoil that right. I think that its net benefit mitigates it to a honorary mention. Right. And and I think, and this is, you know, theoretical, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I think capitalism may be um, ultimately a thing of the past. You know, you look at the way that uh, capitalism has helped spur the United States growth as compared to that of Europe, where a more socialist society is, is lived, um, I think is, is certainly part of our history. But as we move forward, we look at more of a social good and, uh, you know, wealth, well-being of the, the every person as opposed to capitalism, which really drives that of the self. Right. And, you know, Ned, I don't know if capitalism will ever go away completely, but I do think, and a lot of intellectuals and academics have mentioned this um, since they see us in sort of a late capitalist period in the scheme of, of modern human history. Uh, people believe uh, or hope uh, that capitalism will be tempered um, and that a more socialist economic role will be played um, to sort of offset... Um, say, pure, um, laissez-faire economics. Sounds like a great idea for a podcast. <laughs> it does sound like a great idea for I a think, podcast. I think we may want to revisit that one at some point. Indeed. My second to last one is the scientific method. The scientific method which has allowed us to understand the basis of our, of our universe um, down to points where we can very closely control for um, for out-of-control out of uh, objects and subjects and, and all sorts of things that really allow us to m make math into a real living thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, sort of like uh, the Facebook and Google description I gave, um, a great tool for organization, but in and of itself, um, it isn't something that is tangible um, and useful uh, for a human advancement and prosperity, it does it does require human uh, aptitude and creativity to decide what they want to use the scientific method on. It is a wonderful method, but I don't think it's an achievement that 
bears a top ten list. Right. It's definitely an achievement. It's just a little too intangible to be a top contender. Yep. And this brings me to my last on the list of others, AI. Now, it's debatable whether or not we've gotten to the point of artificial intelligence yet. Some think that once we get there, we'll, in, in seconds, in minutes, you know, we will reach the level of artificial superintelligence and the world will change completely. And perhaps we're coming up on that age, you know, as um, a lot of our top scientists and, and CEOs are very afraid of. Um, we, we certainly have gotten to the point where computers can think at least somewhat for themselves in certain ways. Yeah, and, and, and we just haven't gotten to a point where uh, computers can think as uh, in the same way as a human, both in terms of how we think and how complex, complexly we can think. Um, but I think, you know, unlike some of the previous honorary mentions that we've talked about just now, AI is an honorary mention because we still don't fully understand its potential, and we still haven't seen how its potential will fully manifest. Right, and, and we could also call it one of the worst uh, human achievements, because right. ultimately, if it becomes too powerful for us, it could wipe us out, um, so it does not quite make the list. Right, so that story is yet to be told, but, you know, moving forward, so now we have these lists, and, um, you know, we were thinking about going from... Well, how do you want to do this? From the most important to the least, or the other way around? Yeah, I think we'll start at, at number 10, okay. and then we'll work our way down. So we each have different ones. If we get to a point where we've talked about one before, we will skip over it. We'll just mention that it's on our list. Um, but my list starts with number 10, plumbing. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but I, I kind of laughed when Ned seriously told me that his number 10 was plumbing. Well, plumbing is a funny word, isn't it? It is, it is a great word. Um, but, you know... I'm skeptical. I'm going to leave it to you to introduce plumbing and at least at least pitch your case as to why you think it makes this list. Here's why I believe plumbing makes the list. What is the one ingredient that we need for life? Oh, yeah. Water. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. We need water. So the organization of our society depends today on the way that we can distribute water. And it's been that way for many years, you know, from aqueducts, passing water down from the mountains in, in ancient Roman times so that people could congregate and live in cities, to, um, you know, baths, to, to clean drinking water, to, um, to, to sewage and waste and removal of all those things. Plumbing, to me, is number 10 on the list because it has also allowed for the development of a civilized society. It has allowed for ag agriculture, as I have um, you know, discussed before, it has allowed for, for sprinkler systems to, to, to water crops across a great field of range. It has allowed us to pump um, uh, water to the top of, of large buildings and create these massive structures where you can live in hundreds of feet above the ground and, and work in all day and then go to the bathroom and shower and be clean. And ultimately, I believe, and this also will play into part of my number nine, which I'll go into um, in a little bit, has greatly allowed us to um, increase our life expectancy. Interesting. And, and, you know, Ned, it's funny because you mentioned water, but as you started describing why you think plumbing is important and you, you touched on it, you know, the other hugely important aspect of plumbing is um, sanitation, yep. which goes right to your point of life expectancy increases. I mean, plagues, the outbreaks of diseases um, in entire cities, regions, and um, in history, sometimes in entire civilizations, uh, can be linked to, or at least seen as a uh, plumbing can be linked to plumbing, or plumbing has served as a the lack thereof has served as a catalyst for the development of you know these catastrophes. That's right, and think about all the ways in which clean water is important. You know, when you go and travel to another country. Do you drink the water there? In general, it, it, dep it depends. In some countries you can, but many other countries you drink tap, uh, you drink bottled water because any little change in the chemistry of that, that water means that your stomach's going to be upset. You know, you're, you're not going to be, uh, you're going to get sick. Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and, and it's also, I think this is a good segue because you mentioned bottled water 
And my number 10 <laughs> happens to be plastic. I like how we just launched right yeah. into that. I, I swear, I swear, ladies and gentlemen, this was purely spontaneous. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't even synchronized or thought out beforehand or anything. Nope. But, but, but I do believe plastic has some value here. So. Yeah, I mean, look, plastic was developed uh, before World War I. Um, uh, you know, we saw it in the form of gum, uh, rubber for tires, and a few other applications. But its usefulness really exploded with the chemical, with the advances in chemis chemistry and the chemical industries during and after World War One. Um, and I mean, today you see plastic uh, everywhere, uh, from your wallet to the bottle of water that I have here right now, um, to the bottle of water that Ned mentioned people might drink when they travel. Um, you see it being used for military and commercial applications. Um, plastic is an incredibly rugged um, and purely synthetic material that has a, a, a plethora of uses. Right. Um, Pol oh, polyester, sorry. some others, you know, fibers and textiles, yeah. um, you know, other kinds of packaging from supermarket bags to, to, uh, to film, um, you know, microwavable packaging all together that, that, you know, does certainly provide with a wide range of, of utilities um, for one system. Yeah, and, and I, the reason that it makes my list um, is twofold. One, it's incredibly useful, and two, it's able to be made uh, um, purely. It's it's a purely synthetic material, so it can be made in artificial environments. Um, it can be made based on the needs of of a given application, um, and so its versatility, um, I think, has long term benefits for. Um, humans, uh, whether they remain on this planet or eventually move to another planet or a combination of both. Certainly, certainly. So, yeah, it definitely has, has its uh, um, you know, very important uses and standard uses. Um, I think ultimately it's so low down on the list because, you know, it's, it does ultimately come from non-renewables, um, you know, carbon-based fuels, and it's it's difficult to uh, it doesn't decompose etc. There's there's some drawbacks to plastic, but ultimately you're right. It definitely belongs somewhere in the top. So now we move back to my number nine. My number nine is modern medicine, and this I think has done more than anything to really um, obviously it's extended our life expectancy. And so if you look back in time, the life expectancy chart throughout the history. Humans have never exceeded life expectancy over about 33, 35 years. Um, and that was relatively flat for you know, the first 500,000 years of human existence. Up until you know, about early modern England when uh, we really started to, to get in some of the basics, really only some of the basics of, of today's modern medicine. The, 19, the year 1900, world average uh, life expectancy was 31. By 1950, it had jumped up to 48, and by uh, 2010, it had jumped up to 67 years old. So it more than doubled within 100 years with the advent of, of modern medicine, from surgery to um, you know, any, any kind of um, drug and chemistry that we are looking to you know, help us with, with our health. You know, people used to die from relatively benign diseases and, and syndromes today. Um, you know, that, that you would never think about dying from at, at this point. Yeah, I mean, a simple infection could just kill you. That's right. Um, um, and now you just take uh, penicillin. Right, and, right. And, you know, the other thing uh, with modern medicine is that it's, it's, it's usefulness in terms of increasing life expectancy and the quality of life isn't really a linear function. I think it's more of an exponential power function. Um, and, and I think the evidence of, in that is exactly what Ned cited, you know, uh, up until very recently in the scheme of human history, our life expectancy was incredibly low. Now, I mean, it's not uncommon to see people live until their late 90s or even to 100 years or even older. Right. And I think with the you know advent of stem cell technology and other upcoming technologies, thanks to the biotechnology industry, um, we will see that curve, that trend just continue. Yeah, and it's going to be an exponential curve. You know, we might start living to 150, 200 500 years at some point, whereas, you know, 100, 200 years ago, people were dying at, at 30 or 40. You had presidents. President Thomas Jefferson died. You know how he died? How did he die? Diarrhea. Are you serious? He died of diarrhea. I don't know how you die of diarrhea, but 
Sounds painful. 200 years ago, it happened to a president. And therefore, that is my number nine modern medicine on my list. Yeah, for that, simply because you could possibly die from that, I'm going to agree with you, Ned. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad we could tell you would agree. Cool. So, so, you know, my number nine is significantly different. I put banking. And, you know, banking has been around uh, for a long, long time. I mean, the earliest banks were found in ancient civilizations... Um, as a form, as a way for loans to be extended to um, farmers of wheat and other agricultural products um, for a variety of reasons, and also for those same customers to be able to store um, surplus funds, um, which the bank was then able to use to invest. And that's basically what a bank does: is it's, it's basically an aggregation of deposits by by a variety of individuals or entities, which it then uses to invest and make more money than any individual could otherwise. And, you know, banking has a fundamental role in the economy insofar as financial intermediation um, allows for um, greater economic efficiency. Uh, and I also think that, you know, central banks play a critical role in ensuring economic stability through monetary policy, uh, ranging from, uh, you know, basic policies such as uh, managing the inflation rate, um, uh, and the interest rate, uh, but also uh, through more uh, contemporary and unique ways, such as uh, quantitative easing, which we saw the advent of essentially in the 2008 recession. Right. Well, very interesting, and 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 I agree with you on, on all of the things that you said. To play devil's advocate, would you not consider currency to be a more important human achievement? So currency. Uh, so I actually thought about this. So so currency. So, so banking is a source of economic efficiency at the end of the day. Currency is the same thing. I mean, if I want to trade you a hen, you know, back in the day, if I want to trade you a hen... You could for, trade me it now. I'd be happy to accept your hen. hen. <laughs> well, okay. But no, take, for, seriously, though, if, if I wanted to trade you something of one value for something that had a radically different value, it created a lot of difficulties in actually committing to the trade. Currency mitigated that problem completely by creating a base value um, in the form of coins. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was an economic efficiency. But I think the efficiencies that are provided by banking are exponentially more useful and exponentially more powerful. Very interesting. So, so, so that's why I think banking takes precedence over currency. But I guess you could put currency as another one of, say, our honorable mentions. Right. You could put it as a 1A or 1B. Yeah. They're, they're very much interrelated. For me, currency doesn't make the list because I find it's, I mean, you know, uh, necessity is the root of all invention. And what's the you know, way to get there? You need to have some means. But that means is partially rooted in the very ideological phrase, simple phrase of that money is the root of all evil. And I believe that there is some merit to that statement. Now, it's not all true. Money does advance our inventions, but money creates greed, money creates instability, creates, uh, it creates societies where, um, you know, one of the reasons why I'm skeptical of capitalism is because unregulated, it, it creates a system of um, of haves and have-nots, and therefore I don't put it on my list. Understood. We agree to disagree. We do. Um, uh, so we'll move on. My number eight is your number three. Right. So how do you want to do this? Do you want me to, uh, to, to discuss it, or do you want to take a stab at it? I say we both discuss it. You know, okay. We don't have to, to, to go over it again. Okay. My number eight is the Internet, and you think it's number three. Yeah, so tell me why you think it, it belongs fairly down, fairly low... Why, why does it belong fairly low on the list? Well, I'll tell you why it, it, it belongs on the list. Or, or, you know, why don't you tell me why it belongs on the list, and then I'll, okay. I'll tell you why it doesn't okay, belong so, so high. Right, so in terms of, of, communicative tech, of, of technologies within communication, uh, I mean, we have language. Um, and then in more contemporary terms, we have telegraph. We have the telephone. Uh, we have, you know, uh, I guess radio. Um but then we have, uh, you know, in the, I believe it was the, the, the late, it was the late 1980s, I believe, early 1990s, uh, the formation of this entity that we call the Internet, which is basically just um, a, a network of networks. Network uh, of, of computers, computers connected to each other that can share information, is, is from what I understand it. And the Internet was created at, at CERN in, uh, in Switzerland, France, uh, which we will be talking about in a little bit, sneak. Uh, 
Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, the reason that I think it is of the utmost importance is because it is the only technology that we have that can communicate um, instantaneously over distances that are greater than those you would find just on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to our definition of what is what we define as uh, one of humanity's greatest achievements, the Internet um, is a catalyst for the advancement of human civilization. Uh, you know, you know, given that humans will eventually need to move on from this planet. And, and that's a whole other discussion that we don't need to get into. But if and when that happens, the internet will allow for communication that will be critical to making sure that that happens successfully. Yeah, you know, and, and the more I think about it, the more I think it deserves to move up on this list. Um, the reason I put it down here so, so low is because I think in the realm of engineering, the internet is a relatively tame uh, achievement in terms of, you know, some of the other things that we've made. Um, you know, connecting computers together, I, I think, you know, once we establish electroconductivity, uh, superconductivity, um, you know, those kind of things, it was the natural progression. And I think the Internet is a, a body that, you know, it allows us to do a lot of great things, but it's not optimized. I don't find it to be what we, you know, are really looking for at this point. You know, we go on Facebook and waste away our time doing things like that. We look at pornography. We, um, you know, we do things that just, you know, don't really advance us with with the use of the internet. And that's my answer. I'm not so sold on it, but I, I think I think it has the ability to be better than it is. Well, here, here's what I would say, I guess, in, in a way, as a rebuttal. Um, you're right. The internet, as an engineering uh, uh, marvel, or as a is as a form of progress in engineering, wasn't really a revolution. Um, it was more just like a natural progression. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and 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 but that doesn't mitigate how important or useful it is. Um, and I, but I would agree with you that it is definitely unoptimized. Um, there's just so much stuff on there that's a waste of, of virtual space. That I think if we were to use it more effectively, um, it it would uh, increase its usefulness much greater than the sacrifices we would make by removing things that we that aren't useful per se to the advancement of humankind. Yeah, you know, would you say that perhaps the internet is a way to advance humanity, but has not been used in the way that it could be to be a you know the advancement of humanity? Yeah, how I would say it is the internet. Exactly right. It's just it's not fully. Um, there are still a lot of of gross inefficiencies that need to be ironed out, and I just think that's the product of it being um, in its relative infancy. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, and then there's you know the the concept of hacking and stealing information and all other things. Um, it's it's still playing out. You know, it's still not it's still not fully understood. Yeah, still a little volatile. So so we'll see how that develops but I you know Ned and I do think it is incredibly important and one of hum humankind's shining achievements so. yeah, my number eight right so you know my number eight um, is mathematics and I I think you know as Ned thought that the internet might be more important than he initially suggested I actually think the mathematics um, might be slightly less and okay. that, that might be surprising to hear but you know going back to a lot of the honorary mentions you know that we talked about, they're honorary mentions because they established the foundations for the development of other things that were much more useful. Math is exactly that. Yeah, well, my question is, what do you define math as? I mean, we could say that math is a language. Yeah. You know, we could say that math is just a way of interpretation of the universe, of what goes on around us. Um, you know, we see math in lots of different ways, you know. Uh, I drink I drink one Coke, I have one Coke inside me, you know, one, there are no longer one one Coke on the, the table, but, you know, where does math come in? You know, what is exactly math, and is it an achievement? Yeah, that's actually a great point, Ned. Math really is, the more I think about it, the more I feel like math actually just is a language. Yeah, um, I would it, agree. It, and it's the language of nature in a way that uh, allows us to quantify it um, and understand it abstractly through the application of logic. Right. And that has, that has great um, implications for our ability to... Uh, develop other technologies. Um, but you're absolutely right that math 
um, may really just be a product of one of, of language, which I actually have as something higher up on my top ten list. Right, and and math <laughs> math is a problem. <laughs> Fair enough. So math is, you know, we've got tons of different theories. We've got proofs for lots of different things. We can we can understand things through the use of math, and um, you know, I guess you could say that math is applied physics. But we also there's tons of unsolved problems that I could list off and bore you to death with or confuse myself to death with right now. Um, conjectures, and different progressions, and all sorts of other things that I just don't understand. And, you know, perhaps they'll help us move forward, but, you know, I guess it's valuable. It's, of course it's valuable, but it's but it's not tangible as a one thing, I don't think. Yeah, so so, so the gist of it is, for, for us two geniuses sitting here in the recording studio, <laughs> we think it's important, we're not 100% sure why, we'll get back to you. <laughs> and that's why it's only at number eight. Right. So what's your number seven? My number seven is, again, one that's up far higher on your list, or, or just a little bit higher. Um, this is the advent of steam power. Right, and, and uh, so I have that as my number six, and, um, you know, steam power, well, to, to be a little more specific, steam power is important, but the ability to harness it is really what we're talking about, and the ability to harness it and apply it to do work. Right. So really what we're talking about is steam power as it is utilized by the steam engine. Right. And the steam engine was developed as, a, you know, in the very end of the 1600s and, and uh, into the 1700s by a variety of people largely um, largely related to the Industrial Revolution in England. Um, and it, it wasn't until the development of the engine with the piston that was able to turn a wheel through a crankshaft uh, that the power of steam became fully utilized. Right. And when it did, it really took off. It allowed the development of factories. It allowed for the development of steam ships. For the first time in history, humans could traverse... Um, the world's great oceans without being subjected to the whims of the weather. Um, it allowed for uh, the development of mills. I mean, it, it basically catalyzed the Industrial Revolution. Exactly. Which, yeah. which, you know, was the first time in thousands of years that humans were able to produce uh, goods um, at a uh, rate that was way higher than the cottage industry-based system that preceded it. Right, and that ultimately gave rise to, to rail travel, to, to, um, to combustion engines. Um, you know, this, this, is what, this is what we were talking about when we said, is it scalable? Is it mass reproducible? And does it affect the entirety of the species? Harnessing steam power allowed us to advance through the Industrial Revolution to the point where we were, you know, moving from from place to place on horse-drawn carriages to the point where we are now, um, you know, moving place to place in cars and and doing so without even thinking, basically yeah. subconsciously. You know, we've we've taken it for granted that we have advanced that so far. I think it only comes in for me at number seven, for you at number six, because there are further advancements um, that that have you know made us further that have produced further results along that same spectrum. Right, and so, you know, my number seven, for instance, in, in term, you know, speaking of, of technologies that advance us along that same spe spectrum, is electricity, or again, more specifically, our ability to harness it. Um, and, and we do it, actually, in some instances with steam. Um, I mean, you know, uh, a lot of power plants use steam turbines to produce electricity, which then powers all the utilities and appliances that we use in our everyday lives. Um, but I do think that the ability to harness electricity as a form of energy is exponentially more powerful than steam and also catalyzed the development of more contemporary technology that was more useful than those found during the era of steam. Yeah, electricity, again, that's one of those wide-ranging um, ideas that, that is used from every, everything that we use now is based upon power and battery life and, and electricity and, yeah. and light and you know it really makes it really makes uh, so many things possible that, that were not possible before it right and, and then before you go to your number five let me just speak on my number five because it's along the same line of thought my number five is nuclear energy so again to recap five six and seven for me are nuclear energy steam power and electricity 
And I think that all of these forms of energy are, are important, but nuclear energy is by far and away that which has the greatest implications for the development and advancement of humankind. Um, the sheer amount of power that can be produced through nuclear fission um, is, uh, I mean, we could quantify it, but I don't think it needs to be. Right. It's pretty mind-blowing. We, we understand that. Yeah. I mean, we use nuclear fission to power, say, a contemporary uh, aircraft carrier, and the amount of energy in a nuclear fission-based reactor is enough to power that uh, ship for a century. Like longer wow. than the than the usefulness of the than the useful lifespan of the actual ship. Wow. And you know, if fission is done properly, the amount of radiation could be minimal. Uh, granted, we have seen you know nuclear accidents that can be anywhere from terrifying to actually disastrous, or a combination thereof, or of the two. Um, but the potential of harnessing it and using it um, is is incredible. And I think we'll have major implications for humans as we develop into the centuries to come. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Nuclear energy is incredible. It's powerful. It's got a lot of uh, implications. But for me, it's just not there yet. It's still too dangerous. It's still not mass producible. It's still in the wrong hands. You know, something that we, we, we're not, we're not, I mean, look at Iran today. We don't want them to get uh, any kind of nuclear nu uh, power because they could build a bomb out of it. It's still it's it's in in a way like the internet, you know, not used to its capacity where it could be humanity's greatest achievement. For me, it's just not that yet. Fair point. Fair point. So my number five. This is going to start to veer off uh, to a very different direction. My number five is the discovery of relativity. This is you know we we listed off you know does it matter if some one person. Uh, discovered it. It's not a discovery per se, it's it's a mathematical understanding. We finally understand what what happens at the speed of light and what happens in a, well, we don't understand what happens in a black hole, but with respect to gravity. And that is the very beginning of our understanding of we just don't know what is going on in the universe. And I find that knowledge the knowledge that we don't know anything, per se, to be one of the greatest, most humbling achievements that we could ever come up with. And it's no it was no cupcake. It took Einstein four years of hard research and trial and error to come up with a suitable theory that replaced uh, Newton's theory of gravitation. And, yeah, interesting that, you know, I, again, you know, to play devil's advocate, uh, I would argue that relativity would be an honorable mention because it was the idea, it was a very powerful idea, but as a theory, um, its practical applications aren't greatly useful. What the theory and the mindset that it espouses in terms of humility, etc., could produce in the future are potentially amazing. Yeah. But it in and of itself... I don't think has produced anything tangible that's um, as powerful as some of the other things we've talked about. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and list off a few of the things that I find to be tangible. First of all, okay. I find it tangible that we can have two theories that both are correct in in their in their in their way of thought, relativity and quantum mechanics, that do not work together. We do, we don't understand anything better than either of those. We know that they can't possibly be a unifying theory, but just knowing that we aren't there yet, that we don't understand everything, is is such a great achievement in our humility. It limits our ego, it brings about discovery, and, and I think that is the driving point of achievement of itself. And so that's where that's where I, I see that. Okay. You know, of course there's um, you know, understanding the, the fundamental speed of light. There's global positioning systems that can take into account relativity to, um, you know, give an actual uh, account of what time is like. There's, you know, the understanding of space-time as a continuum as opposed to two separate factors. I think that's the beginning of our understanding of space. Okay. No, that's actually I, the the idea that it's applicable to like global positioning satellites. I didn't even know, and that actually is really awesome. Yeah, there's tons so. of tons of small little things that that I think 
Um, it does, but again, it's not as tangible as some other things that we do know about. But but it will certainly be fundamental to human space exploration when that happens. Yeah. So yep. I, yeah, I think you're right. That actually does belong on the list. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> so so our number fours, both of ours respectively. Uh, mine was mine is government, and Ned's is democracy. But in thinking about this, I'm going to change mine to democracy as well. Ah, oh, yeah. sounds like uh, you're, you're thinking my list is pretty good, yeah, huh? Well, no comment yet. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I originally thought government because um, regardless of the type, um, it allowed for the organization of communities and the development of unified policies um, within those communities, both amongst the constituents and... Um, and towards um, communities outside of that one. But, you know, what good is a government if uh, it isn't, you know, or how legitimate is government, uh, or I guess you could say good with a capital G, um, when it doesn't uh, uh, look after the interests of the people? Yep. And you, that's basically, that, that is essentially a principal agent problem. And uh, the only way to, to mitigate it is by letting the people directly choose those who will speak for them. I'll agree. I think I think you look at back at, at, at human history and, and once we started to create governments, we really could define ourselves as um, as a people, as, as a one person, you know, the governments of England, the, the monarchies that came through, you know, the kingdoms there. Um, this was the beginning of group mentality or the of mass group mentality. Um, but again, it, it it was flawed, and that's why we had to come up with a constitution to create a democracy, which ultimately has led to, I believe it's led to, the greatest advancement of human society. Now, democracy is flawed as well. We are seeing it today. We are seeing a political system in, in the United States that is, frankly, a joke. I'll say it. It's, it's, it looks like a joke. You have a guy like Donald Trump who's in the lead for the Republican Party, because he's mocking the system. Democracy is starting to look like it doesn't always work. Well, I mean, the United States is actually a republic. There's a, you know, you're right. There, At this point, it is. Yeah. So, so you, when we say democracy, what we really mean is a government that is um, uh, elected uh, by those it represents um, to express the interests of those it represents. And if it fails in either of those two regards, then it isn't a democracy, I think, in the opinions of certainly me, but also Ned. Yeah. And so when you look at the United States and see that it's failing uh, or potentially has, has the potential to fail in at least one of those two aspects, um, I think that's because it's not living up to its name as a democracy, uh, largely due to issues surrounding the fact that it is more of a republic than a democracy. Yeah, and you know, it's so interesting to talk about these things rather than think about them. The more that I talk about this, you know, I'm impressed with government. I'm impressed with democracy. I'm so impressed that I put it at number four. Uh, but I'm able to really put together an argument for why it should be lower down because it is so flawed. I do think it has allowed for the advancement of humanity. I think the government that the United States instituted in, in the late 1700s brought about the the rise of other governments and so therefore it is mass reproducible um, you know it is it is scalable and it and it affected the entirety of our species and you know gave gave way to the idea of human rights right um, it, it was sort of like the leap from the culminations of all of the previous forms of governmental experimentation right and, and it, you know if you guys um, agree or disagree you know again we're always more than happy to hear the thoughts of our listeners um, both as to whether you think uh, democracy is a good thing or whether any of the items on our list um, really belong there or if they're too low or too high. Uh, we want to hear from you guys. So either you know, let us know in writing by email. Um, you can post something on our website. Uh, any comments, we are more than open to hearing and would love, uh, would love to hear them. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're down to our top three. We're approaching 49 minutes here, so we want to keep this under an hour. Um, our top three, so our number three is, well, well for, for you, Taylor, it's the internet. It's We've the already end. discussed. Right. Um, and my number three is the moon landing. So, so this is not quite the level of plumbing, but still, <laughs> to a significant level, I'm skeptical. So explain. 
So for me, the moon landing is number three because it has helped advance humanity in a way that I don't think we fully understand yet. The moon landing as, as a single event was not worthy of being number three. It was worthy of being honorable mention, just from an engineering standpoint. It took us to a point where we were spending 4.5% of our federal budget on NASA. The reason was because of Russia. That's the only reason. We were trying to beat them in the space race. We were having what uh, Mr. Tim Irvin calls a dick-swinging contest <laughs> from Wait But Why, which, again, you know, is, is one of the bases for our, our thoughts uh, and, and ideas behind many of these uh, podcasts. So, again, we want to give him credit. For me, the moon landing as an engineering feat was that, but as a feat to establish what we can do as humans, we began to believe in our ability to explore the universe, in our ability to explore again, because we had really kind of stopped exploring at that point. Now, we were traveling, we were moving about, we were trying to conquer, but we couldn't go anywhere else. So for you, Ned, the moon landing is critical because it re-engaged human, human, the human desire to explore the unknown. That's right. And it, it created a fundamental drive within the human race that hadn't been seen since the age of exploration. Yes, that's right. And, you know, we reached the moon in the 60s. NASA wasn't even established until the late 50s. So within 10 years, we had a space program that was capable of putting a man on the moon. Um, what is such a tragedy in my mind is that after we did so, after we beat Russia, we stopped investing. We didn't stop altogether. We continued to, to send probes, to create satellites, to explore through, uh, you know, solar uh, system. The, the solar system through robots. But we, we took a step back where we should have taken another step forward. And I think we're about to begin doing that again. But I think the moon landing was that spark, that catalyst yeah. that said, holy crap, we can do this. We can conquer another body. Yeah, and this body is way bigger than any we have really dealt with before. So, you know, it's funny because we talked about the humility that um, humans develop through, you know, coming to understand relativity. At the same time, you know, events like the moon landing have sparked within us a fundamental excitement to go and explore the great big ocean of unknown that we have finally become able to fathom. Yeah, that's right. And, and I, so I, I absolutely do agree with you that the moon landing as a source of, of inspiration um, is a major uh, milestone in, in humankind. Yeah, and in terms of engineering, there's none better. And you know what I just realized, Taylor? We skipped over my number six. Oh, we did. We did. My number six. Well, because of, we're talking about it, I'm going to go over it brief, briefly. I just want to talk about it quickly because it is the Large Hadron Collider, and I believe it goes hand-in-hand hand with the moon landing. But again, we don't know exactly what it is yet. To give you some context, what the Large Hadron Collider does is it accelerates particles to the speed of light, not quite, but about three meters per second slower than the speed of light. I'll put that in a number. 0.9999999991C. C being the speed of light. So we're pretty close, but we aren't there yet. And in fact, we still can't quite replicate the beginning of a Big Bang. We're getting close, but that is not fast enough. <laughs> we yeah. need a larger collider than that. Another factor that goes behind it is the collaboration. Uh, again, it's CERN, which is the European um, agency that, that really begins to study the fundamentals of the universe, which is uh, they have 21 member states now. They have scientists come from all over the world. It, the cost of the Large Hadron Collider is $13 billion in funding. You know, that is funding that could be going to helping people eat or get them clean water, etc. But we find it more important, and I do, I agree with it, to, to continue to study where we came from and what everything is, what the universe really is. Right. So on that, you know, on the, on the ideas of humility that we see in relativity and the idea of desiring to explore the unknown, 
um, through that was catalyzed by the moon landing or reignited by the moon landing, we see sort of in a similar light a desire to explore the unknown, just not in the grand context of space, but in the grand context of particle physics. Um, that is what the Large Hadron Collider really manifests. Yeah. So yeah. for you, a big, a big theme of your list is really um, developing the mindset of humanity for which it can take a leap forward and everything else will fall into place. I think so. I think that's, a, that's, that's definitely a theme. You know, like, as there is the theme of energy in my list, there is the theme of that human mindset in yours. I think that's so I think a good way pretty, to put it. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. So that brings us to our top two. And these, for us, this is where the debate is going to begin. His number two is my number one. My number two is his number one. Which one would you like to discuss first? Uh, number two. Wait, who's number two? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll just say, so my number one and Ned's number two is language. And my number two and Ned's number one is the wheel. So we'll discuss these, I guess, not necessarily in unison, but just sort of together as we you know wind down um, this podcast. But, uh, you know, I picked... Uh, uh, you know, I, I put the wheel as number two. Well, now, why don't you say why you put Let's, the wheel as number yeah, one? So I'll put the wheel, and then we'll go into um, language after. So for me, there has been no greater achievement than the wheel. The wheel was established, you know, the first time it was really seen in humanity was about 3500 B.C. Um, in Mesopotamia and became used for um, pottery and then ultimately became used in travel and wagons and and things like that. And now we have wheels everywhere, from pulley systems to cars to um, to bicycles to you know all sorts of other other places. It's still the greatest means that we have to move around today. And for me, the reason why it's number one is because it's a circle, but a circle doesn't really exist in nature. It does in some ways, but it's just more in the form of a sphere. And so you see things like the sun, you see things like the earth. These are spheres, but that's you know, there's no practical use for it. We don't have a hand-sized human-like model that we can create as a wheel. And to engineer something with a perfectly flat surface on, uh, you know, on a circumference that allows us to move about in the year 3500 BC that we've not been able to top yet, in my mind, is why it becomes the greatest achievement that humans have ever made. Yeah, and, and it, it's it's really, the wheel was important, but it was the development of an axle, the wheel and axle That's, that yes. was so critical. I do I do agree. That's what I mean. Yeah, right. wheel with the axle. Right, because the axle was what essentially allowed it to spin um, in a way that was useful to humans. Yes. And uh, in, in so doing, it basically took, uh, drag friction, it basically allowed humans to do work instead of being subjected to drag friction to only be subjected to rolling friction, yep. which um, has significantly less resistance. And in the scheme of you know ancient human civilization when this was first developed, uh, the ability for humans to do work increased exponentially. Yep. Um, and this was really fundamental to uh, economic efficiency um, and the ability of, of humans to do everything from create a building to uh, develop uh, tools. And I look at it as the main mechanism for which humanity became the dominant population on Earth. It allowed us to, to dream, to expand, to grow, to move, to diversify, um, and to ultimately learn about the Earth in ways in which no other animal could do, no other animal could could live anywhere on Earth, um, or has had the ability to, to migrate in such a way, with such little work being done, um, that we could that they could focus on other things. Right, and and you know, the the wheel. Um, I'm trying to think how to say this. It. I, I guess you're completely right. I just I think it's definitely. Um, it's really a coin flip to me whether that or language is more important, but um, it's it's up there for sure. Definitely, so, yeah. That's why you have it at number two, certainly. Yeah. But yeah. why do you think language is more? Well, so I think language is more important because without the ability for humans to... I mean, let me back up. Humans are fundamentally social species, um, and everything we've created um, that is on this list 
uh, or every, every, anything that we've developed that's on this list, because some things weren't are a little intangible, um, was done through collaboration at some level or another. Or another. Mm -hmm. And without language, whether it be oral, written, or visual, or mathematical, uh, or mathematical um, we wouldn't be able to collaborate. And if we weren't able to collaborate, we would have none of this. That's right. So I think it's the most fundamental aspect of, of, of human development. Uh, I think that, like the wheel, it fits our definition of you know greatest achievement very well. It's it's reproducible. Um, everyone shares it, even though we speak different languages. Everyone, if, even though we all understand different languages, everyone understands a language. Right, body language. Body language. Um, and uh, it is. And, and again, I emphasize this. Without it, I vehemently believe. We would have nothing that we have today. I think I think you're definitely onto something there. Yeah. So so, I, so, so there we go. So there we have our list. All I have to say is that um, Taylor, thanks for your list. Yeah, you're, thanks for yours, Ned. You're wrong, but <laughs> mine is better. And <laughs> well, why, why don't you, as our listeners, tell us what you think? Well, we should take we should take a vote. Do you think Ned's list is the better list or Taylor's list is the better list? <laughs> And the winner will get a present from the loser. And did we miss anything that is really, you know, valuable and should be on this list? You know, if we did, please let us know. We're happy to hear your thoughts. Everyone, thank you again for listening. This was our longest podcast. It's just running over an hour right now. Again, join us. Uh, we, we try and release podcasts either weekly or bi-weekly. We will be back to you again, hopefully next week, with a new, new podcast and new topic. Thanks again for listening to What's the Point. My name is Ned Marks. And I'm Taylor Miller. And everyone have a great night. Good night.